Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest on Be Brave at Work. Richard Safir is passionate about employee health and well-being. Since we spend a huge amount of our time working, let's make sure we use that time to nourish our mental, physical, and social well-being, and this is an area that Richard focuses on. Having been in this space for more than two decades, Richard knows that when companies focus on creating a culture of health and well-being, not only do employees benefit, but so does the organization. Richard believes so much in the culture of well-being, he's actually written a book that provides leaders in their organizations a roadmap for creating a happier, healthier workplace. The book entitled A Cure for the Common Company, A Well-Being Prescription for a Healthier, Happier, and More Resilient Workforce, launches in January of 2023. As the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Well-Being at John Hopkins Medicine, Richard leads the Healthy at Hopkins Employee Health and Well-Being Strategy. Using innovative thinking, insight, and strategic planning based on the available science, Richard introduced many creative solutions to foster well-being in the workplace and inspire employees to adopt healthier habits. Richard, thank you so much for joining us on Be Brave at Work. Thanks for having me, Ed. So I did somewhat of a light overview of you in respect to your background, and we'd love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing today and how you are actively interacting in the marketplace. Oh, great. Yeah, I I have been in this space for more than two decades. I started as a family doctor for just a short period of time before I realized I wanted to make a larger impact, and I made the transition into helping entire workforces uh, support their health and well-being. And at this stage of my career, I'm realizing that uh, there's a lot that other organizations can do uh, without spending a ton of money to support the health and well-being of their workforce. So I've really set out to help expand this idea of creating a culture of well-being. I'm doing a lot of speaking now, and uh, that is ultimately why I wrote this book, so that I could help managers and leaders understand their role in supporting the health and well-being of their teams. 
Well, it sounds fascinating, and I'm sure there is a ton of good information that you have uncovered throughout your career. And I'm just wondering, Richard, if you could reflect for a couple of minutes, you know, isn't the ability to be brave at work help organizations be healthier, right? If I know I can talk to you about something that may be hard for you to hear or hard for us to talk about, yet feel as though I can without feeling retribution or anger, it feels as though it would be a healthier place to work. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I, I think what you're describing is trust, and uh, that that's a huge part of our well being. And you know, managers and leaders alike should make themselves vulnerable, share things about their own well being challenges, so that it makes it easier for employees to do the same. I mean, there's so many examples of how um, we need to be brave when it comes to well being in the workplace. I'll just give you one more, Ed. You know, for a long time, it was taboo to talk about health and well-being in the workplace, right? You're not supposed to talk about politics. We're not supposed to talk about our health. But we can talk about health and well-being without putting people on the spot or trying to get their personal health information out of them. We just have to be brave and open the dialogue with some open-ended questions. I still can remember when I worked in retailing in New England, and this is in the late 1990s, I led through an organization, something that was new and fresh called wellness, right? This was a new concept. And, you know, we never talked about health and uh, personal betterment in the workplace, right? It was always goals and objectives and get to work, et cetera. And we were attempting to organize wellness behaviors. Uh, we were attempting to encourage people to stop smoking, uh, you know, things of that nature. So you're right. Uh, it's taken a while, but it certainly continues to grow and uh, demonstrate itself without uh, organization. So, you know, let me ask you, you know, Richard, when you think about leaders in organizations, and this is not intended to be a tough question, but, you know, I'm just wondering, why are leaders so unreceptive to vulnerability and candor. If I wanted to talk to you about something that I thought you should know that I believe could help you be a better leader, I, you know, I feel like I'm making a job-ending move, right? Oh, you can't talk to him about that. He's going to be very unhappy and you're going to be in trouble and it's going to be the end of your career instead of, of course you can come talk to me about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how I operate. So, But we're not that way yet, right? And I'm just wondering what some of your thoughts or experiences might be on that front. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. I mean, everybody's a different person, but I think a couple that come to mind right away is that most managers and leaders are not trained in well-being by any means. You know, that you get your MBA or you get your promotion, and I'm pretty sure that almost no one has been given any education about how to lead with well-being in mind, which is a big reason why I wrote A Cure for the Common Company, to give managers and leaders a playbook on their role. Now, the second reason, I think, is that many leaders are goal-oriented, and they're so busy reaching whatever goal has been set that they forget that you know they're part of a team. And if they really want their team to be optimal, we need to pay attention to uh, the well-being of our workforce. We need to open that invitation, be vulnerable to get, get that conversation rolling. And so does your book share some thoughts or ideas on how to create vulnerability, right? With most leaders, it's not about uh, 
well, it might be about introducing vulnerability. It might be something that they are not interested in participating in or haven't paid attention to. But if we believe vulnerability and the ability to say, hey, I think I was wrong today in something that I said, and here's how it made me feel, and I want to make sure I didn't insult you, you know, those types of things. Do you give them some thoughts and ideas? And if you have, maybe you could share one with our listeners today. Right. Yeah, there's a whole chapter on something called social climate, and it's about helping people feel like they're part of a community, that they're rowing in the same direction. And uh, I do specifically call out separate sections on vulnerability and trust. And Ed, it's so funny that you talk about apologies, because really at the conclusion is, above all else, apologize. It's always going to be well-received, and it's a great way to get the conversation rolling. Now, many leaders may not be comfortable with this whole idea of sharing information about themselves that's not related to work. They might be more comfortable demonstrating how they take care of themselves. So they might end up being a role model in another way. So if uh, I go for a walk at lunchtime and I'm the team manager, maybe I should ask someone to go with me. That kind of sends a huge message that not only is walking important, but I'm going to give you my time, which is a, a real way to show that that I'm important, the employee. So yes, there's a lot of different ways leaders can play a role. Every chapter of the six building blocks includes uh, advice or recommendations for how as a manager you can adopt these ideas uh, around the six building blocks. Well, we're using a lot of interesting words today, Richard, in respect to being brave at work, things like trust, vulnerability, apology, right? Those are all sometimes hard things to do or have. And, you know, oftentimes I work with a client and I say, you know, a comment that you made apparently had a very negative impact on people. And my client will say, well, Ed, it's the, it's the truth. I'm not going to apologize for the truth and what I said. And sometimes I've said, you might hate this idea, Richard. I said, well, you know, you can't apologize for how it made people feel. You're not apologizing for what you said because you believe in what you said. But I don't think you said it to offend people, right? You said it because you believed it to be true. You didn't realize it was going to offend a ton of people, and it did. And so you don't have to come and say, hey, what I said was wrong, and you know I really shouldn't have said that. But you can say, hey, I made a comment today, and I did not make it to offend everyone. And if it did offend you, please accept my sincere apologies. That was not my goal. Let's continue to talk about it in ways that can make progress. But I agree with you. Apologies, you know, and it's an irony, right? Because when you do apologize, it helps the relationship, and it feels great. And yet people hate doing it. Uh, and I look at the most visible entity, you know, for at least people in the United States of America, which is the president. And, you know, I used to just look at the presidents, especially as an adult, and they never apologized. They never said, hey, we shouldn't have done that. Or uh, maybe we could have done that a little differently or a little bit better. The first one ever to come close to apologizing is Barack Obama. And in fact, he got labeled as the sorry president because they thought he was saying, I'm sorry so often and apologizing or at least inferring an apology that, you know, he became labeled as the guy who was apologizing. So it's, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, it kind of is. And, you know, uh, the, the other um, another challenge is, uh, you know, sometimes managers and leaders are instructed or it's implied that they're supposed to be strong. 
And, you know, showing or expressing an apology might be interpreted as a sign of weakness. But in fact, because we all know how difficult it is, it's actually a sign of strength to be able to apologize because it says that I'm comfortable with myself and that I am strong enough as an individual to accept that I am not perfect and I did something wrong. Well, I completely agree with that observation, and I would tell you it is my personal belief in what you just said, that the number one reason why leaders find it hard to apologize, which is something they might feel they need to do when you're brave with them about something they said or did that didn't have the impact that they hoped it would have, is that it conflicts with their ability to be strong. And if I say I'm sorry, it's now going to be interpreted as a sign of weakness, and I'm not a weak leader. Right. I don't want people to think I'm weak. Right. And that's the mindset they get in. And so helping them realize that saying you're sorry is a sign of strength and authority and that it creates a more humanistic experience and makes you more accessible. I mean, the benefits are so incredible. You think we'd all be apologizing all of the time. But just in my experience as an employee, as well as in the client work that I do today, there is still a huge gap between the behavior that people learn to do in a corporate role and the things they should do in order to be stronger, like apologizing. So I am so glad I included the sentence about, you know, apologizing is like, you know, it's, it's, it's never going to harm the relationship. You know, this is not a self help book, but I do include a little call out box in each of the well-being building block chapters about how the leader can apply that building block to themselves. And because if we are not well as leaders, it's really hard to uh, help those on our team. And about not being able to apologize strikes me is that someone doesn't, uh, there's something about that individual's own uh, well-being that might be off and that maybe that individual needs to explore themselves a little bit more to figure out why it is so challenging to to utter those words uh, other than it might make me look weak. I, I think for many, it might be an additional thing as well. Oh, I have no doubt that there's a number of reasons why an apology in the workplace is hard to do. It's been my experience that this impression that it makes you weaker, as you had observed earlier, is a significant one, right? I'm sure there are other ones, but you know, I would if I did a survey of 100 people, I would bet 100 bucks that the number one reason would be uh, I don't apologize because it demonstrates a sign of weakness. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'd be with you if you'd let me take that. <laughs> I would. Better two for one. So uh, the other word that you mentioned that I think is very relevant to bravery in the workplace is trust. And the need that if you need to have a brave conversation with somebody, and that's where something you need to say is hard to say or maybe hard for them to hear, is uh, trust and a relationship with that person. You know, if I have a great relationship with you and need to share something with you that I think would be hard for you to hear, the likelihood of me doing it is significantly greater than somebody that I don't have a great relationship with, that I don't trust or I don't think trusts me, because that absence of trust becomes kind of the issue, right? Oh, you're just saying that because you're trying to make me feel embarrassed and, you know, I don't trust you, right? So tell us a little bit about the role of trust, if you can, Richard, uh, as it relates to well-being in organizations. 
Well, I can think of a lot of connections between trust and well-being, but I'm just going to go with the first one that popped into my head, which is the relationship between trust and stress. When we don't trust someone like our manager or a coworker, it increases our stress level. And when we have increased stress, it can increase our blood pressure, it can cause us to lose sleep, it can cause us to make unhealthy food choices. There are a lot of problems uh, when we don't trust each other. So, um, you know, I could go on, uh, Ed, but I, I think that uh, our listeners probably recognize the benefit of, of trust just with that example alone. Well, I don't think we've heard it explained exactly that way, Richard, which is the enhanced uh, experience you have when you don't trust somebody, right? You're more observant. You're feeling stress. You're adding value to things they're saying or taking away, right? It, it, it adds to everything that's happening as opposed to someone you do trust. You don't even think about any of this stuff, right? You're just having a conversation and, and Absolutely. moving forward. Absolutely. It's not just about getting the work done uh, better or, or more easily when you trust each other. It's about our own well-being. So, Richard, how about you? Can you think of a time in your career where you did not operate with bravery at work or maybe you did not do something or say something that upon reflection, you know, you wish you had? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are, are many times uh, earlier in my career. I, I'll kind of just uh, put a synopsis around one of the challenges I had because it's multiple times. You know, that, that separation, that boundary between the end of the workday and, and the beginning of the family evening. And uh, I, I mean, there were a number of times where I, I wasn't brave enough to say I, I'm done to whoever I was reporting to at, at that time of my career. And, you know, that, that definitely had a, a negative impact on me. Um, other than when my kids, when there was an emergency, and that's the case, I, I actually had no problem telling my boss I have to leave. There's a problem with one of my kids, but I think that wasn't it wasn't good for my health and well-being. And it actually, um, now that I am looking back, Ed, uh, I realize that you know I wasn't probably being the best role model for what we want our employees to do, which is to be brave about our well-being needs. Um, I, I really hadn't thought of it this this way before, Ed. So I, I thank you for asking the question like that. Well, I appreciate that story, Richard. And I would tell you, many of our listeners have a very similar experience. It is hard to turn off the workday, especially in today's highly technological environment where, like I do, I have an iPhone and I can see all my emails and everything that I need to see late into the evening. And you know, even today, even though I'm self-employed, I still work a little bit longer than I should, and I get very polite feedback from my wife to put my phone away at 8 or 9 p.m., and I find it so hard to do. So I think that's a great, great story, and I think your lesson was try harder to do it. Yeah, you know, I I think I was, uh, you know, concerned about what my boss might think, and um, now that I'm on the <laughs> – at the – end of my career and I have no problem, uh, you know, turning off my, my Hopkins work at the end of the day. And I, I have a good relationship with my boss and I trust her and I also trust myself. I trust that I have put in a good day's work and therefore uh, it's time for me to turn to my family and my own well-being needs. 
Well, and I would imagine as a boss, if someone said to you, hey, Richard, I'm going to be start turning my phone off at 6 p.m. and anything that I get, I'll answer the next day. I'm assuming you would say absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've been a manager for more than 20 years, but more than 25 years, I think about 25 years. And I've uh, gotten better at it, <laughs> to be honest with you. And part of being a better manager is uh, using my own advice about how as leaders, we have to embrace well-being, not just for ourselves, but for our team. And so I'm very cognizant about how um, my words and my actions influence the health and well-being of the people who report to me, because I know how the um, actions and words of those who I've reported to over the decades has impacted me. So yes, Ed, uh, my team knows that there is an end to the workday and it should not bleed over to the family. Well, I am thrilled that you learned your lesson, Richard. So thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And thank you again for being a guest on Be Brave at Work. I'll just remind our listeners that I think we heard three key words today that they should think about and investigate if they are not something that they have invested in the past. Trust, vulnerability, apology, right? Those are all things associated with bravery at work. And the more you do them, the more you can trust others, the more that you be vulnerable and role model that. And I'm not suggesting you apologize left and right, but if you don't do something right, let people know so you can learn and demonstrate strength. Those are all great things in order to be greater leaders. So Richard, if folks wanted to find out more about you, and I know your book will be on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com, where can they find more information out about you? Yeah, I have a website. It's richardsafir.com. It's it's uh, purposely simple. And uh, the book is available for pre-order, A Cure for the Common Company. And uh, for anybody who's in the workforce, uh, I think you'll find that there's a lot of good information to help you have a healthier day. And if you're a manager or leader, it's going to help you support the well-being of, of the people on your team which we all need to do more of. So thank you. Thank you for putting your thoughts down in writing. Richard, thanks again for being a guest on Be Brave at Work. Thank you, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.